This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Take No Sh- I'm your host, John Wassman, and for tonight's guest, I have Eliza Carrington, a classically trained guitarist who will hopefully be playing at a venue near you soon. Hi. Hey. Okay, so let's do this one more time. So you're scratching your nails with the sandpaper, seven different kinds, to file her nails down. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so as a classical guitarist, we have to take care of our nails. So I have very, very short nails on my left hand so that I can be able to move my fingers along the frets no problem. And then on my right hand, I have a little bit of longer nails. And so pretty much every classical guitarist has something different, a different way they like to shape their nails. And so some people have them very long, gives them a very naily and bright sound. I like to keep mine rather short. And because I like to do this because I think that using the flesh when you play gives a really nice tone so essentially I have mine shaped so that they're a little bit rounded so that on the side um, they're a little bit shorter and I can use my flesh when I am plucking the string and then as I swoop my finger around my nail catches the string and then I get a nice volume so what I do is I shape my nails with a nail file a glass nail file to make sure that they are the shape that I want and then I use a couple different types of sandpaper and each one of them is a little bit of a lower grade so and it keeps continuing into the last one is really just a polishing kind of finish and I like to do this because I think it gives my nails a really really nice sound it makes sure that there's no little cracks that I missed when I was filing it makes sure that everything sounds as smooth as it can be and yeah that's part of my filing process so I like to do that every time before I play just make sure that everything is as smooth as it can be so mm-hmm. you'll see me instead of you know most people kind of practicing away and making sure they got everything right and I'm in the corner like kind of making your nails sure down? yeah <laughs> I'm in the corner like okay I gotta make sure everything sounds really smooth you know so yeah <laughs> okay so that shows a lot of dedication I'm assuming like damn Sam that's crazy <laughs> damn Sam <laughs> mm-hmm. great one right so how how long did it take you to get to this level to like hone in your craft you know how did um, this work so I started classical guitar when I was about 11 or 12, and then I kind of played a bit on and off during high school. Is that also when you started guitar? Yeah. So, um, and then when I got to college was really when I met other people that were, of course, super dedicated to playing classical guitar. So that's when I got all of this kind of like guitar nerdy stuff going on. So everything is super like nitpicky and how we file our nails and how we hold our guitar when we play and how we make sure that our arms are positioned and, you know, making sure that everything is like as great and as comfortable and sounds as awesome as possible. So I think that this kind of level of dedication came to me when I had friends that were super dedicated to this Mm -hmm. as well, and I was able to share this with them. All right. And so then you actually moved to social media, and then, like, you just got featured the very first time? Um, It was one of the first few times. I think it was the second time that I ever posted a video. Um, I was in Madrid visiting my dad, and he had this cool Alhambra little guitar, and so I... Uh, played with it a little bit, and then I um, played a piece called La Cathedral, and so I was working on this third movement. It was super awesome, and I was having mm-hmm. a great time, and I was like, okay, this is the time when I'm going to start making little videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I fe- so I um, posted that one, and then uh, a page called Riff Wars featured me, and then that was the kind of growth of my 
that's the beginning point of the growth of my social media is since then I've really been dedicating myself to putting more videos out consistently and talking with other people and really the way to do it, especially mm -hmm. these days, is to get featured by bigger pages. So mm -hmm. that was my Trap people to step. the little page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why was that the next logical step for you? Which one? The getting the, featured? Yeah, well, getting featured also just starting up the Instagram page itself. Because... Well, like, why was that, like, able to help you with your career? So I saw one of my friends, Hannah Murphy, who was an awesome guitarist, and she uh, began doing Instagram, I think, as a school project because she was trying to see how she would, would be able to market herself as an artist on the Internet. And so... I saw that she had about 10,000 followers and I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's so smart because she can be able to advertise concerts and she can be able to, um, you know, promote her records and do all sorts of stuff. And I thought that was so brilliant. So I was like, okay, I want to do that same thing. Like, that's so clever. So that was really um, what I thought would be really beneficial for me is to do the same thing and also begin to market myself and work on my music and be able to collaborate and work with other people. And I think that was the most surprising thing, the most unexpected thing for me was that I had the opportunity to work with other people and um, really learn and listen to other people. Mm -hmm. And I love that the most, yeah. actually. So were you also, you said you were one of the first classical guitarists like to start really posting stuff. Is that true or no? Like yes. you were in the first round. So do you think that was advantageous also? Yeah, well, there were a few other people that were a bit more well-established than I was when mm -hmm. I was first posting. But I think there are definitely more classical guitarists now than there were back like two and a half years ago when okay. I first started. So a couple of my friends and I have... Um, some bigger followings because we were some of the first that mm -hmm. did it, which is awesome. And it's great because we have gotten the chance to meet each other and collaborate and work on some projects and have some concerts together. And it's been so mm -hmm. much fun. Okay. And so also, do you think like the fact that you were posted on Riff Wars, like one of your first ever pieces, like, do you think that really motivated you to keep doing this? Like, yeah, I'm already there. Yeah. It, um, it made me feel a lot better because I had the opportunity to be shown to the, to these, to this wider audience, mm -hmm. you know, and I had all these other people coming to me and saying how much they loved my music. Mm -hmm. And that meant the most to me that I was finally able to really mm -hmm. showcase my work and be able to connect with other people. And I'm especially really grateful to this page mm -hmm. because they were the first ones to ever feature me. And that always mm -hmm. meant a lot. And so if you haven't been to Eliza's page, you should go now. It's uh, at Eliza underscore Carrington. Uh, it's a dot. It's a period. Dot. Okay. Per Eliza period Carrington. Yeah. On there, you actually have some cool like trick videos you do. What was that? You like some cool trick videos you playing behind the head? Yeah. Like how long did it take for that to get easy? You know, I um, that particular piece has um, the hand positions just in one position. So I didn't mm -hmm. have to really go up and down the neck mm -hmm. to be able to play that. So it took me maybe like an hour or two to mm -hmm. really get my fingers there. But I had a lot of fun with that piece and I had a lot of fun making that video. Mm -hmm. It was my first kind of like little trick video. And I, and I thought it was so funny being able to create it. And so that one I think was where I got like 2000 followers in like <laughs> a night. And that's when I was like, whoa, this social media thing is crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, making that video was super fun. And that's mm -hmm. another way that a lot of people came to my page. Like, see, I still get stuck like, I still can't believe people on Guitar Hero do that. So I see that. I was like, wow, it's crazy. It's okay. I can't play Guitar Hero <laughs> either. Yeah. And so I said this before. You think that the Instagram community helped you evolve your craft? Yeah, absolutely. I've met so many awesome mm -hmm. guitarists through Instagram, and we've all been critiquing each other and working together and motivating each other, which I think is such a wonderful thing about the platform. It's awesome that I've gotten the chance to work with these artists. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that 
definitely made me really motivated and want to work harder, mm -hmm. want to work on my craft and want to experiment doing different things as well is because I saw mm -hmm. some other people playing like jazz guitar and I'd be like, I want to try that. And other people playing flamenco guitar and I'd be like, I want to mm -hmm. try that. So I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to work with all of these people and learn from them and you know have them do the same thing for mm -hmm. me. So, and also, since you have 20,000 followers, would you say you're also kind of an influencer? Do you ever, like, try to use your Instagram page to help further a cause you believe in? Yeah. Um, I would consider myself somewhat to be an influencer. I think that mostly, maybe not so much about uh, posting something or posting an ad and then having people flock to it, but more so in just being able to communicate with people about music and different movements that I believe in. So that's something that's really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the gigs you played from this uh, being featured on these guitar pages? And did they actually help you get the gigs? Were they kind of the middleman? Um, so I played a gig earlier in June with a page called Pickup, and it was mm -hmm. a collaboration between this Instagram page and a uh, magazine called She Shreds Magazine that features female guitarists. Mm -hmm. And so it was a collaboration concert between the two, and it was earlier in June, and so I got to perform there and that was awesome and so I was so grateful to be able to meet mm -hmm. all these people and it, some of you know my fans mm -hmm. from Instagram got to come and so it was so great to be able to meet them as well. Hmm. And so how was the environment created between the online community and like the actual venue? Like how was like the dialogue set up? Like how did they like deal come about? Do you know? Um, I'm not really so sure. So it was really just some guy with like an idea about social media decided to like reach out to you guys? Yeah so it was um it was the founder of Pickup, Sam Blicklock, and mm -hmm. then uh, Fabi from She Shreds Magazine. And then the mm -hmm. two of them wanted to create a collaboration concert, and they found the venue, mm -hmm. and they were able to invite a couple of female guitarists to come and play. Okay. And so have you, like, how many uh, collaborations have you done with other Instagram guitarists from that community? Um, I've done a few. And so at this mm -hmm. point, I'm actually working on a couple of collaborations yep. with some people. I'm working on a collaboration with a rapper. I'm working on a collaboration with another guitarist that does a lot of work um, transcribing music from movies and TV and video games. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to be able to really work a lot with other people that are um, very different mm -hmm. from the kind of music that I make. It's kind of like widening your horizon, widening your repertoire? Yeah, exactly. So like and kind of augmenting your sound? Yeah, and it's interesting because we also get the opportunity to showcase each other to different audiences. So, I mean, where I, where I would mm -hmm. normally not do any kind of like hip-hop kind of rap music, I have the opportunity to work with this person mm -hmm. now, and we get to collaborate and make something really awesome that's really different. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be able to work on these uh, projects. And so how do you feel about uh, like the classical musician versus the street musician? I think that um, they can be one and the same sometimes. Yeah. And so I think that the classical musician, I mean, you know, I would busk on the street all the time hmm. when I was in my first couple of years at the conservatory hmm. and tons of us do. And so I think that really, I mean, the biggest difference is just, is just the environment that you're in. So, I mean, street musicians are so awesome. You see them doing all these kinds of tricks and doing all these kinds of uh, crazy licks on guitar mm -hmm. when you're out there on the street. And that's how they're able to really get by is they okay. showcase all the best stuff to people, you know. So they can be just as well versed as classical musicians mm -hmm. can be. But I mean, like, versus, like, someone, maybe I should rephrase that. Like, someone, like, street learned, like, uh, Louis Armstrong, Biggie Smalls, like, compared to a classical. Okay, so um, the way that classical works is pretty much you usually have a teacher that um, really 
pushes you forward and introduces you to new repertoire. And that was how I was able to learn the best. I think some people work much better on their own mm -hmm. and then just listening to other people and um, being able to work with other people. But I really like the idea of having a teacher work with you and tell you to your face, like, you mm -hmm. are not doing this correctly and you are doing this correctly and this sounds good and this does, mm -hmm. it has, I think it's a real beneficial thing to have another set of ears pointing you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And so I always found that yeah. great. And I mean, I think that having a teacher is really beneficial because you can have a real like dialogue about music and about what you want to do and you have some other ideas. So mm -hmm. I, I always found that having a teacher was really special. Okay. And it was a very special like connection that you could be able to have okay. with someone. Would you have any like very like mentors that stood out to you? throughout the years? Yeah, um, I have two. So my first guitar teacher was my, is one of my favorite people, mm -hmm. and his name is Pat Biancooli. And he and so, uh, works out of LIE, right? Um, no, well, he used to. And so he was my first teacher when I was first studying here mm -hmm. when I was about 11 or 12 years old. I would take little guitar lessons from mm -hmm. him, and he was so smart about the way that he taught classical guitar to kids because I think that, you know, sometimes if you have a teacher that's working with you and they're giving you this piece and you're not really interested in it, it can be really hard to be motivated. But, you know, he'd give me pieces that were really interesting. But then at the end of the lesson, he'd be like, OK, what do you want to learn? And then I would give him a song. And so he would teach me all these songs that I really wanted to learn. And then he would also give me classical pieces. So at the same time, I was being classically trained while doing something that was also like kind of fun, mm -hmm. chords drumming, like, oh, hey, I know okay. this Beatles song, let's <laughs> go, you know? So I thought that was something that was really, really mm -hmm. clever. And well, he's one of my favorites because we've just had a wonderful time discussing music and he's a wonderful person and he has given me so much advice. Even, you know, I had a couple, I had a couple lessons with him when I was still in college and I was working out some things and I was auditioning for different things. Mm -hmm. And so I would have a couple of lessons with him here and there and he was always so incredibly helpful and kind. And so he's one of my favorites. Another one of my favorites is my teacher at the San Francisco Conservatory mm -hmm. of Music, Mark Teicholtz. He is incredible and I don't think I've ever improved as quickly under any other teacher as I have when I was working with him and I think that he always pushed me harder and he was always telling me that I had to do something else and I had to do something extra and I always worked harder to make sure that he would be impressed with what I was doing and that hmm. he would be say that he would be proud to be like that's my student you know <laughs> and so I worked so hard to be able to make sure that I could make him proud hmm. okay. make teacher proud so yeah I mean okay. he was wonderful and you also said you went to the San Francisco Conservatory? Yes. <clears throat> so for the people who don't know, can you tell us what a conservatory is? So this particular conservatory um, is much more focused in music than mm -hmm. other universities. So whereas normal university students have to take other classes that are not relative to their subject or relative uh, to what they're mainly studying, their major, um, it's a bit more focus in a conservatory so I don't have to take like math classes or science classes or all sorts of like mm -hmm. multimedia classes like I was able to take the things that I want to of course the conservatory also um, offers uh, humanities courses of course that make up a bachelor's degree so there are uh, classes like history classes and poetry classes we all have to take music history and we all have to take like literature courses so there are mm -hmm. certain things that do overlap but it's yeah. much more focused so that the students can really have the opportunity to work on their craft while they're in school mm -hmm. okay and so uh, what was it like there? What was the environment like there with the other students? It was awesome. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, there's a bunch of practice rooms, and you hear everyone practicing. Mm -hmm. And I, the Just then they're, like, free to use. It's like, that's the library? Yeah, so um, you have to sign up 
to have to use the practice rooms, but because I'm a guitarist, we don't really have the opportunity to be in the cl- in the practice rooms. So we can just be like hanging out in the hallway and practicing mm-hmm. anywhere. Okay. So you'll see like five guitarists all lined up mm-hmm. a couple feet from each other practicing their repertoire. Okay, it's kind cool. of fun to go along and you're like, oh, hey, what are you working on? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I always enjoy being in the hallways because it was a very social thing. Whereas I could be working on something and someone would be like, hey, can you help me with this? Or someone would be like, hey, that sounds cool. Or, hey, what are you working on? So I always thought it was a very, very fun thing to be um, to be working on and to be there in that environment. But, um, yeah, our school was really small, like 400, 500 people. So mm-hmm. we knew everyone. And I thought that was always super great because I was able to have tons of friends and just, like, know everyone. I don't know. I always get super scared meeting new hmm. people. So that was such a wonderful thing to be comfortable in this environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like it was similar to the whole Instagram community you had. Everyone helping each other out, being very laid back. Yeah, 100%. Especially, I think, the guitar community at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. We had four teachers and... Um, just about, four teachers, like for the entire school or just for the guitar program? For the guitar program. Okay, that's bad to say. Yes, yes. So we had four teachers in the guitar program, uh, one jazz teacher. And so we had about 30 students or so. And it was always so great because we were always doing our best to help each other out and work with each other. And we'd meet on Wednesday nights and help each other out with our programs. And we'd go to each other's recitals. And so it was always a very welcoming and kind environment to be in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Love my homies. <laughs> yeah. And so the professors there. Mm-hmm. So were a lot of them current musicians like right now or retired musicians? How did that work? A lot of them um, were both teaching and performing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there would be a couple weeks out of the school year where I would have a couple of lessons uh, back to back because, you know, my teacher would be going out Mm -hmm. of town and he'd be going to Italy and giving a master class and he'd be going to Milwaukee and giving a master class and he'd be going here and giving a concert and he'd be going there and doing something Mm -hmm. else. So it was always, you know, you had teachers that were constantly working in the field as well as being a teacher. Did a lot of them, like, was there a big, like, turnover rate? Did a lot of them leave because they got a better deal in another school, or did they all just stay there? Did a lot of new professors come in? Not for the guitar community. A lot of them have been there for a very long time, and so um, they would work on other projects constantly, but they were always very faithful to their students. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when I went to NCC, like, both, like, two of my professors would be, like, doing the same thing. They'd be going away for, like, history talks, like, in Cambridge, yeah, Illinois. I remember one of them was even saying, like, yeah, I just got a job offer, but I'm going to stay here. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just wondering if that was the same there, like, they were constantly receiving that. I'm not sure if they're receiving offers, but, I mean, they're always super Mm -hmm. great about making sure that they're always with their students. Okay. But uh, do you have any, like, notable uh, artists that were your teachers? Um, Like, that would be, like, recognizable to say, like, someone who's just getting into guitar? Or into classical music? Well, I'd say that I have had a couple of really good experiences <clears throat> in master classes. So I have taken one of my master classes at SFCM was with um, a guitarist named David Russell. Mm-hmm. And he is one of my favorite guitarists of all time. And he was absolutely amazing. And yes, so, how was that like working with him? <laughs> oh, it was intense. And so <laughs> I um, I played that third movement of La Cathedral by Augustin Barrios. Behind the so, head or no? No, not You weren't trying to show off? Okay. Oh, I should have. <laughs> Next time. But um, I played that for him, and he was incredibly helpful. Um, we were a little short on time because we had a lot of people that wanted to play for him, but um, it was really great. He gave me a lot of great advice, and he, was all, and he was so wonderful. And I really enjoyed being able to have a master class with someone that was so down-to-earth and that really gave great advice. And he gave me some of his, like, notations as well, and so it was awesome being able to... Mm get such great advice from someone that was so humble and so kind. Hmm. So 
Um, I also had a master class when I was younger. When I was here at Post, mm-hmm. uh, actually, I had a master class with a woman named Anna Vitovich. And so she was one of my favorite guitarists when I was growing up, and she still is. Yeah. And she is absolutely incredible. And so I had this master class with her, and I was 15 or 16 years old, and I had just come back from a retreat with my high school and we went to this place upstate and we were climbing on like trees and rocks and all sorts of stuff and I broke Hmm. all of my nails (laughs) and so I came back and they were all broken I didn't know what to do so I played and it went well but she like looked at me and she was like your nails and I was like was this like your first time performing for her or no this is my first time performing for her really okay so that was a great impression oh 100% (laughs) yeah I mean I was just like young and all my nails are broken and I was like no I promise like I'll shape them later but uh, she was lovely and she did actually teach me how to shape Mm -hmm. my nails which was very uh, very kind of her but yeah Mm -hmm. So those were some of uh, the more notable master classes I've had. I also had a master class with a man named Scott Tennant, who um, is in the L.A. Guitar Quartet, and he was awesome, and I loved performing for him. I played a piece by Leo Brower called Danza Characteristica, and he was super helpful with that. I was so intimidated going in because his version is like, 80 times faster than the way I played it. Mm-hmm. He was like, and I was like, oh my God. So, I mean, it was so great to be able to work with him and have him give me all sorts of advice. And um, yeah, all of these people, I think the best master classes are the ones with the people that are the most down to earth. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that the people that are the most down to earth are also the most skilled players, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about it. Someone's calling on the phone. Yeah. Not my problem. But um, <laughs> so. Since you already actually did perform with some renowned artists that you actually looked up to, what other ones would you like to perform with? Um, <laughs> I don't know that I'm so focused on performing with like really notable, well-established guitarists right now as much as I want to perform with like up-and-coming guitarists and people that like I've met through social media, and I really want to be able to collaborate just with as many people as I can. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially people that I think are different than me. Okay. And so what are your, like, major influences right now? Um, my major influences are uh, pop music, dance music, mm-hmm. uh, classical guitar, jazz music, flamenco. I like to draw little inspirations from a bunch of these different things. So, like, I love, like, groovy kind of funk music, and I love flamenco music. I love music that you can really groove and kind of dance to, but I also appreciate how detailed and brilliant you have to be to work with classical music. So I I appreciate the dedication of certain types of music, and I appreciate the um, ability to have fun when you're performing other types of music. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so how do you try to be prolific in your guitar style of music? I how try, do you brand yourself? So I try to be as prolific as I can by having a schedule and working with it every day because I think it's so it's so easy to get down on yourself when you create something and you don't necessarily like it. And then you're like, okay, I'll try again when I'm in the right headspace or when I feel a bit better. But I think it's mostly about constantly doing it mm-hmm. no matter how you feel and just continuing to work on your craft because you know there are some days when you're going to write something that you don't like and then there are some days that you're going to find something that you do like Mm -hmm. and I think the most powerful key is being able to work on something and finish a project no matter how it turns out because you know if you have a bad idea Mm -hmm. and you finish it you're at least going to know what to do when you have a good idea and so I might like the bad idea too yeah exactly okay 
And so what made you want to become a songwriter? Um, I wanted to become a songwriter, I think, since I was very little. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can remember when I was five and, you know, I wanted to be a singer. Um, I really wanted to write my own songs, but never really believed in myself as much Mm -hmm. when I was younger to really pursue it. And then uh, when I was in high school, they had this little talent show or something and a girl that was younger than me had written her own song. And I was so jealous. And I was like, I want to do that. She's younger than me. That's not fair. (laughs) So I started to write my songs immediately after that. You know, there's nothing like a little friendly competition to get you a bit motivated. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, what pushed me to work harder. But I always wanted to be a songwriter. I always wanted to create something that people would want to dance and sing along to. So still, (laughs) still doing that. Yeah, there you go. And so outside of the performances, how do you brand yourself? Like your personality wise? Um, sometimes I still work on it and it's interesting when I have to think about social media or when I have to think about, um, musically how to brand myself because it's such a specific thing. You know, people always want to see a brand and people always want to know that you are working towards something that people can latch on to. And so I try to keep my brand, um, in a way that I can be able to change it. So, like, yes, I'm a classical guitarist, but I'm also a songwriter. And yes, mm-hmm. I'm a songwriter, but I also want to dabble with electric guitar, and I also want to okay. dabble with flamenco, and I also want to do this a little bit. So I try to make sure that I can be as kind of fluid in my works as I can be. And I don't know mm-hmm. that at the moment I have a really kind of staple sort of brand. But mm-hmm. outside of music, I would say that I am a person who really wants to Uh, be influenced by a bunch of things and learn Mm -hmm. as much as I can about all sorts of different types of things and I I love to grab onto little things like in art and um, in theater and in uh, in music and in everything and really be able to create Mm -hmm. a concept for myself okay that was a good answer (laughs) very good answer thank you so how do you ex- yeah, how do your feelings express musically, like with your sad songs, your happy songs, your melancholic songs? How do you express those feelings? I think the best way that I can, really, I mean, of course, is the lyrics and being able to make sure that people can really resonate with them. Because, of course, you can make something sound sad and happy depending on which chords you use. I mean, are you really going to use, like, a sad song for some, like, really upbeat chords? Yeah, you're like, I'm so sad right now. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, of course you can do that, but I think that lyrics especially really resonate with people. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're feeling down and you look at the song that you've been listening to and you actually look at the lyrics and you're like, whoa, that's Mm -hmm. incredible. And you find something that you can really latch on to. I think that's what makes music special. Okay. And would you say your songs usually have a recurring theme that go throughout all of them? Your original songs? Yeah, well, I think that my music, I try my best to write about something different every time I write a song because I was listening to the radio and I was thinking to myself, how do I write something that a lot of people can relate to? And, you know, a lot of people write songs about love, about heartbreak, mm-hmm. about clubbing, about having fun, about having money. And this, I, I don't know. you're in like the middle of all of it. I got really bored thinking about that. I was like, I don't. Too tired of going to the clubs, yeah. just spending all the money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I, gotcha. I got. And I was just so bored with these ideas that I didn't know what to do. But then I went to a concert where one of my really good friends was performing. Her name is Mia Pixley, and she goes by the name Beilu. And she... Beilu. Yeah, it's um, the name of her cello. So it's B-A-E. 
L-I-O-U. But she is brilliant and she has written all these beautiful songs. And so I, you know, and so I was at her concert and she wrote this one song about a couple of women going to this watering hole and like finding hope. And I thought that was amazing. And then she wrote this other song based off of an Edgar Allan Poe song called Eleonora. And I thought that was brilliant. And then she wrote a song for her little baby son called All My Light. And I thought that was beautiful. And I loved this idea that you could really take all this inspiration from all these stories. And I mean, yeah, you know, I think I get bored using like life events for my own songs. So I loved the way that she didn't use her life events and she used other things around her to really create something new and brilliant. And so right now I'm really dabbling with the idea of like creating little scenarios in my head and then being able to write them and being able to kind of sound, make it sound a little bit ambiguous to the audience a little bit and trying my best to make something really interesting because I get Mm -hmm. kind of bored with like these really, trite kind of topics and lyrics mm-hmm. okay so i know you also have some songs prepared yes would you like to do that yes all right just give me one sec let me set this up real quick all right so you're gonna want the uh guitar f- the sorry the microphone face more towards the guitar or no um or do you want to like sort of in between each in between I think we'll okay know exactly what to do. Uh, there you go. Awesome. Here, I'll just move this back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cool. Am I, which, I'm singing to this mic? Or that one? That one. This awesome. one's off. Awesome. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. We got Eliza Carrington here, perfected her craft for about 10 years. Sorry, 11 years, right? Um, yeah, since I was about 11 or 12. All right, and she's got some music for us. Let her know what you think in the comments, especially you Instagram Live. All right, whenever you're ready. All right, this is a song that I wrote called Island of Mine, and I hope you enjoy it. Shooting star and you could see you were my 
falla Put so easily What can I do? Don't wanna leave it all behind And when I do I just can't get some peace of mind Cause I've been missing you Just wanna keep on kissing you Such a shame that I'm stuck on the silent of mine Stuck on the silent of mine Yeah, yeah, stuck on the silent of mine To leave it all behind And when I do I just can't get to peace of mind Damn it Cause I've been missing you Just when I keep on kissing you Such a shame that I'm stuck on the silent of mine Stuck on the silent of mine Yeah, yeah Stuck on the silent of mine Oh, stuck on the silent of mine Yeah, yeah All right. Nice. What's the uh, next one? The next one is um, a classical piece that I wrote, and it's called Gardenia. Okay. Are you singing this one, or? No. Okay. Thank you. 
Well, damn. All right. Thank you. All right. That was pretty impressive. Thank you. I'll give that. Thank you. It's a little better than decent. <laughs> All right, so let's just switch over the mics again. All right. You're good. Okay, wow. That was amazing. So Thank how you. long did it take you to make those two songs? Um, so I feel like that second one especially, like, it seems like you had a lot of influences in there. Yeah. Like the beginning reminded me of Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to hear. Um, so the first one, the Island of Mine song, I wrote in a day. And okay. then assume you had a lot of inspiration pissed off about somebody? I did, yes. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> always, always mm-hmm. those fun songs. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, Gardenia was written um, in dedication for my sister. And so I wrote it and premiered it at my uh, recital in March, my senior recital okay. at the conservatory. I'm assuming that's like your senior thesis? Um. I suppose it could be considered... It's like your end project? Yeah. So, then, so like, everyone is required to have a junior-senior recital. Junior okay. for some instruments, but all instruments have to have senior and master's recitals. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, for this, so that was for my senior recital. And so I wrote that, yeah, kind of in pieces. So, like, that beginning kind of harmonic mm-hmm. section I wrote in January. And then I kind of took some time and um, worked on it for a couple months and then really finished it... A, couple days before I premiered it and so um, I had a bunch of different influences for that piece I was really inspired by two classical guitar pieces um, there's one that's my favorite it's called mm-hmm. Koyumbaba and it's got these interesting really fast passages but this piece honestly is just very haunting and beautiful and so I wanted to write something that was really haunting and interesting and so that's kind of where the beginning section comes in and so um, I was also inspired by a piece called Parazula by uh, Celso Machado and so um, this piece has a lot of percussive elements in it and flamenco strumming in it. And so I took inspiration from that for the ending of the piece. Okay. Wow. It's a lot of like a lot of different like things you're doing there. A lot of moving pieces, especially with like the drumming on the guitar, like you were just talking about. Yeah. That is wow. So it seems like you kind of are already fluent in it, but would you say music is a separate language? And if so, like, where do you think you are in, like, the process of learning that language? It is. But I would say there are many, probably with many different genres of music, there are many different dialects that you have to get used to and learn. So there are some things that I'm more comfortable with. And there are, of course, I'm assuming are like those kinds of songs. Yes. But there are more things that I'm exploring and learning and loving. And so a lot of it, I think, is like learning a language. And a lot of it you do practice and get better especially working with other people so watching other people perform mm-hmm. like i love watching flamenco guitarists like i love okay. watching grisha goryachev i love watching yamandu costa i love watching people that are so incredibly unbelievable at what they're doing and so um i take a lot of inspiration from all sorts of different guitarists and all sorts of different types of music and so yeah that's wow all right and so i know i see this before but have you already performed with any kind of like street train musicians? Like more like, I know you said you're collaborating with a rapper soon. Mm-hmm. Like, would you say you could see yourself performing with a jazz musician, like a trumpeteer, someone with a brass in the brass section? Yeah. Well, I actually write a lot of brass in my pop really? music. Yeah. I love okay. brass. You make so pop music too. I do. I'm assuming Island of Mine is like in that realm. A little bit. That one's yeah. a little bit different. More a little folk too. Yeah. Um, I try to keep it mostly within pop, but I've had a couple songs that I have trumpet for and I have some brass for, and okay. I really, I love that mixed with mm-hmm. um, guitar. So I, 
a lot of my music I have centered around little trumpet lines that I write. And so I've had a couple of my friends come on at school okay. and they will uh, do some little Just lines rock for out me. with you? Yeah. So, right. I mean, I love doing that kind of stuff. I mean, but I would totally be open to working with more street musicians. I mean, I've had more access to higher trained classical musicians because that's where my environment was. Yeah. But I mean, of course, I would spend time with like awesome street musicians and be able to collaborate with those mm-hmm. people as well. Okay. And so would you... Let me think this question through first. <laughs> so would you ever consider using a keyboard for uh, to substitute those instruments like trumpets? You just have it at a push of a button. Have you ever used that? Would you ever use it? Yeah. What is your opinion on it? So you can do so many awesome things with plugins, and you can do so many awesome things in whatever workstation you're in. And mm-hmm. so um, essentially what I did for one of my songs, I have a song called I Need Some Time, and one of my friends came and did the main trumpet line. But below that, I had a lot of like lower fake brass. And so I liked the idea that, you know, I didn't have to have like 20 musicians come in and work with me mm-hmm. on this project. I could just do it super easily. And it was interesting. I was watching a little, um, uh, a little video of someone today talking about one of their songs and how everything sounded incredibly real, but he was just on his, he was just on his little keyboard and making all of these uh, sounds like with mm-hmm. his bass and with his guitar and he was doing all this kind of stuff and it sounded incredibly real. So mm-hmm. you can do a lot just with that kind of stuff. And I think okay. that's awesome and incredibly resourceful. All right. And so who would you say your primary audience is? Because I know you play a lot of classical, so I feel like you definitely get more of an international crowd than, say, the average American. Yeah. A lot of – it's interesting. A lot of my fans are not from the U.S. At yeah, least where are they from, from? A lot of them are from – I've had some from like Jakarta. I've had some Jakarta. I'm sorry, where's Jakarta? Africa. Indonesia. Indonesia. Wow. Yeah, I've had some fans from there. I've had a lot of fans from Brazil. I've a lot of people contacted me from Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people from Spain. So I think a lot of people know me because of my mm-hmm. classical influence, and so those are generally where the more, uh, where the bigger guitar communities lie. Okay. I know you dropped out the name flamenco a lot, mm-hmm. and I believe that is a Spanish form of guitar, correct? Yeah. So, yeah, I could definitely see why Argentina, Brazil, Spain would be, like, contacting you since you heavily rely on that form of classical guitar, correct? Mm, so Actually, you were telling me once about, like, the whole drumming. Is that mainly a Brazilian style? I wouldn't say that it's incredibly Brazilian style. It is definitely a more kind of flamenco technique, a more Latin American technique. I'm not incredibly sure of where these kinds of styles originated, but they are widely used in these types of music, and especially when I used to be at the conservatory and I was picking up new pieces of repertoire, mm-hmm. I really wanted to find stuff that was interesting okay. and percussive because I thought it was the most amazing thing, and especially considering that a lot of our repertoire doesn't have that. I thought mm-hmm. it was such an interesting little flair. And uh, would you say one of the main people that you study from, especially for that style, would be uh, excuse me, uh, the Assad, one of the Assad brothers? Oh, yeah, he's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sergio Assad and his brother Odair are incredible uh, Brazilian guitarists. And Brazilian guitar is a whole genre in and of itself. It's very it's very different. It's I don't really even know how to explain it, but it is such a unique kind of style. And all of the Brazilian guitar players that I've met are absolutely unbelievable performers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I definitely, of course, look up to Sergio. A hundred percent. I remember because he used to he used to teach at the San Francisco Conservatory. And so he would 
and he was so incredibly kind too but you know he'd open the door and I would be so incredibly starstruck <laughs> just fangirling out oh 100% and I mm-hmm. would be so excited just to see him and I was like oh my goodness and then he'd be like hi you know and he was also a very humble person so just getting the opportunity to speak with him and work with him I had uh, one of my great friends and I did um, a duo together and so Sergio was coaching us and so every time we went into a lesson I would be so incredibly mm-hmm. starstruck just looking at him like oh my goodness he's helping us so yeah <laughs> okay and so do you see the Brazilian style guitar picking up in the US anytime soon? I do you I do, see a really? lot of a lot of guitarists especially are super influenced by this and you know if I was playing Parazula by Machado in the hallway you know 10 people would stop by and be like wow what is that it's so interesting and unique and mm-hmm. people I think especially people love that kind of percussive style it's in that piece people love that kind okay. of stuff. Okay so it's, you think you're going to be like the mainstream you're going to be being out little pump for sales soon? Uh, I mean I would love to not essentially be the mainstream kind of person but I want to be able to bring that into my music so it's not I don't want to be the main you force go Taylor driving Swift? this no I want okay. to be I want to essentially absorb that into my music instead of it being like I am pushing for this music because I think especially like the Brazilian players are absolutely incredible and I just love watching them more than anyone okay and so what 10 year period for you represented like the pinnacle of music hmm I think that the evolution between music and technology is really, really fascinating. I love all of the Beatles records. I really do. And to watch their um, incredible dynamic from their beginning stages sounding kind of like an American surfer rock band to how they were extremely experimental and using all of these samples and unique instruments, I think that's absolutely incredible and a really, really unique time in music. Mm. Okay, see, for me, it would be, like, the 1990s, early 2000s. Yeah. Like, that, old, like, um, so you got, like, the beginning of, like, the golden age of rap. Mm-hmm. It's, like, you know, like that, like, East Coast hip-hop, like, New York boom bap. Love that. Then also alt-rock in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, like, uh, Alive with the Glory of Love, Queens of the Stone Age, all these awesome guys. So, yeah, that that's my favorite time period. <laughs> that's what I think represents the pin- pinnacle. Nice. You know, actually, I was really like, uh, someone was telling me about this uh, funny, like, graffiti tag mm-hmm. that was popping up in New York City, actually, a lot. It was too young to party in the 90s. Too, yes, too young to party in the 90s, too old to explore space, referring to our generation. Truly. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. A little dark, but. <laughs> it's right, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we're just, like, in the middle of everything. It's true. It's like, it's like a depression, you know, just like a very deep valley. So, yeah. <laughs> but on to a more uh, positive note. Are there any places in the world that you'd like to visit to integrate into your sound? Like, say, the Buena Vista Social Club in Cuba. Or, you know, go to, like, the shores of Senegal, like Paul Simon with uh, Graceland. Where would you like to go? Hmm. I really love African drumming. Okay. So I'd love to explore that further. I mean, I took little classes in high school that explored it a little bit, but I think it's absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to go and learn more about that kind of culture and learn more about those kinds of works and that music. Okay. And so then what's your opinion on, like, artists Americanizing sound from other cultures and turning it into hits? What's your opinion on that? I think that the blending of different musical styles is really, really interesting. And I think that it's something that should be explored further. I think 
Um, so you think it's okay? Like this is like a, the spreading of influences, the spreading of cultures into something new. Because yeah, because I think that. Well, it depends because I think that if an American artist takes something and rips it off and makes it not as interesting or not true to the culture, then I would say that that's not something that should be done. Yeah. But instead, I think one must really learn about the culture and the influences of mm-hmm. this kind of music and Im- most importantly, listen to mm-hmm. the people of that culture, listen to performers from that culture and then integrate it with their own sound. I think mm-hmm. that's something that you can do in a really respectful and positive way instead of it being kind of like a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, actually, um, to relate to that, to, like, modern pop, like, with Drake, with his uh, latest hit, uh, Nice For What, it's actually uh, based on uh, Louisiana, New Orleans Bounce, mm-hmm. that type of rap from there, like, with Big Frida, all them. And a lot of people praised him, saying, like, he nailed it on the head, like, he did it right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people from that area were like, we respect you for it, you know? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, so is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you got to say? Last words? Mm. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. <laughs> hey, so thank you, Instagram Live. I don't think there's any viewers right now, but there were, so there were before. You were getting some applause on there. Oh, yay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so that's it. That's all you got to say? Yeah. All right, well, I'll see you all next time on Take No Sh. Bye. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.